you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Brandon Elliott, your host to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. Super excited for my boy, uh, Dominic Wood. What's up, man? How you been? What's up, Brandon? I've been good. Excited to be here. Cool. Well, thanks for joining. I I appreciate it. You know, uh, you're definitely somebody that I look up to when it comes down to the, the full aspect of real estate investing. You know, you definitely lead by example with all the amazing deals and education. Um, you know, how many deals are you working on right now? What, like 10, 12? Oh my God, we've, it's, I gotta show you my board here. I mean, these are just, these are just a few of the deals that we're working on. Yeah. <laughs> we've got, and that's not even including any of the ones that are under construction. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's so, right 20, probably. yeah cool. We're trying to work on these. If you wouldn't mind um, giving the guests like a little background of yourself, exactly who you are and maybe where you come from to where you're at today. Sure. So um, again, my name is Dominic Wood. I'm in Seattle, Washington. Uh, we're, we're in one of the hottest real estate markets in the country. So I'm, I'm blessed to be here. Um, we have been, I started learning how to invest in real estate um, about 10 years ago. Um, and it, that was back when we had a similar bubble, right? We had a, this booming, booming uh, real estate market in Seattle and we're just going off and it just seemed like a really awesome opportunity to start learning how to invest in real estate. I got bit by the real estate bug. Cole Hatter was the one who introduced me to um, an education company and he said, you got to do this. You got to learn how to do this. Invest in education. And um, so that's what I did. And it, it was a slow, slow process to, to get started took a couple years um, to get my comfort level to the point where I was ready to pull the trigger and start doing deals. Um, we, you know, we roughly started in the basement of our house, um, myself and my business partner, who's my current business partner, Rob, and we um, started out doing short sales, started learning how to, back when short sales was a thing, foreclosures was, was you know, a, a pretty big aspect of our market back in 2006, um, so we started out that way. We started, um, joined a, a foreclosure auction group, um, kind of learned that end of the business. And I decided to dip my toe into the commercial real estate. Um, I worked in that, uh, for real estate brokerage for two years, two years. And when I started, I, um, what was your role within that company? So at that point, I wasn't a real estate broker. I was actually like an, an investment analyst. I worked with the brokers in the office, and my role was to analyze the commercial mortgage-backed security market. And so as, as a lot of people remember back then, the CMBS market was the market that essentially collapsed the real estate market um, because of the upside-down or, or poorly um, – rated CMBS um, tranches and loans that were being put together. And um, we had full access to the data. And so I was one, I, I was weird because looking back at it, I, I can, at the time I didn't realize what I was witnessing, but I was watching on a daily basis, um, commercial loans collapsing and these, and these tranches having really bad deals in them. And our purpose of analyzing that was mainly so that we could, purchase them and make offers on these banks um, that were taking back these properties and foreclosing on them. So we had access to all sorts of properties and they were in foreclosure. And it was a super exciting time because we thought, we thought, wow, there's all these properties going in foreclosure. We understood that banks didn't want to take these properties back. And so we were putting out offers to all these different deals all across the country for um, hedge funds and, and really big um, fund managers and whatnot. And we thought we had a, a, a niche. And at one point, we had $160 million for 10, uh, not 10, I think it was more like 12 large, very large commercial properties 
included like an airport, a couple of hotels, and it took six months to put this deal together. We had $160 million sitting in an escrow account. And at the last minute, things collapsed. Like the markets were collapsing, the banks were not allowing things to close. And, and as everything was collapsing around the economy, um, that last deal that I had worked for months on, for years to learn how to do and for months to put together, um, it just it, it just burned me. And I was like, I'm out of this thing. I can't do this anymore. And I had a, and that gave me a bad taste about real estate at the time. So I basically said, I got to go get a job. I can't afford to do this anymore. I can't afford this work in this industry. So I went out and got a, I didn't really get a job. I partnered up with the broker in that, in that office. And he had uh, some commercial multifamily part projects in downtown Seattle. And he asked if I would essentially go and assist him with managing some of his buildings. And I thought that that was a great opportunity to have more of a steady income and learn the property management side of real estate. He also owned a restaurant in one of those buildings that was not paying rent. So at the time I proposed to him, why don't we take over this restaurant because you can't sell it. Market. Um, you don't want it to sit vacant because it will make your building look bad. And he thought, well, if you can manage it, I'll give you a sweat equity partnership in it and, and let's, let's get creative. And it. So we lost the restaurant and I had it for four and a half years and it was awesome. It was a blast. We had, we just, we ran all sorts of parties and private events and live night of the week. I mean, it was like one of the most fun times of my life. Um, what kind of restaurant was it? It was a, it was like a sports lounge, but with live music, with a private uh, party space, like we had a big private loft, and we had every sports game going every weekend. Um, it was it was just a blast. So we did like pizza, burgers, like American foods, and in Seattle we do a lot of seafood, so we had a lot of seafood, and we had some great chefs that were doing a lot of really good um, higher end type of quality, but pretty traditional um, seafood. It was a blast. Um, and we had a big bar, you know, so I was partying my ass off all the time. And, and it was, a, it was a, it was a good run. And then, um, in the end, um, you know, life, life will hit you. Life will throw you some curveballs. And at the end of 2014 or so, mid 2014, um, life threw a big curveball at us. And my sister, um, had fairly recently had a baby and she, it was in a car accident and she essentially got addicted to pain medication, which, which as it's, as many people know across the country that just ravages people as that trans that prescription medication transitions typically to heroin and other things. And she went on that pathway and it became a really, really, really bad situation for her and my family and my parents and this little baby. Yeah. So at that point in time, my parents said, this is, not a, this is not a stable situation. We've got a little baby here that needs to be taken care of. And we're too old to plan a long-term. Um, this is not a long-term situation. You know, we got to figure something out now. Yeah. So they essentially put that on my lap, and I, I had to think about that for a couple of weeks. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bachelor. I live in a bachelor pad downtown in a in a, a really pimp apartment um, with views of the water and I have a restaurant and a bar that I'm running till two, three in the morning every night, making a lot of money. Like, and my, now my, now I'm essentially being asked to take a baby that I've never, that I don't know how to raise. Right. I've never been a parent. So um, that was something I had to really dwell on for a couple of weeks. And at the point, that point I decided that I would do it and then I would take her on and I, essentially told my business partners that we were going to, that I was going to basically bow out of the restaurant. And they said, you know what, the timing, the timing's good. Let's, you know, the market's, the market's better. We let's, he said, Don, go out and find a buyer for the restaurant. You'll, we'll pay you for it. And, and that's essentially what I did. It took a few months to do that. But, um, uh, I essentially started removing myself from the property management and from the restaurant and had to really think hard, like, what am I going to do next long term? And I called my old business partner back up, Rob, and who was who had been for that whole ten years or so fixing and flipping houses, just very, very successfully doing it. Okay. And 
I call him up and said, I want to go back to fixing and flipping houses. I want to do what you're doing. And he said, time couldn't be better. Hop on board. Let's do this. And it's been about three years since. And we've just built an incredible business. We brought on some really great partners and people that work for us and construction crews. And we have a wholesaling business um, with another partner, Drew. And we're, we have an office now. We have a couple different offices. And we're just the sales team. What we've been able to do over just the last couple of years has been pretty awesome. Um, and so now we're teaching and training as well. Um, and, and that's really, um, I love to do the real estate side of it, but I really, really enjoy teaching and training people how to get involved in this industry. Um, I get asked all the time, how is it? How do you do this? How do you do what you do? And how do you raise money? How do you find deals? And it's like, come learn how to do it because it's, it's, it's an incredible opportunity. If I can do it, you know, I was bartending a couple of years ago um, and now I'm raising a baby and still able to make a ton of money fixing, flipping houses and wholesaling deals. So if I can do it, anybody can do it. Yeah. That's awesome, man. You know, thank you for sharing your story. I, I uh, truly appreciate it. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate. Um, at least speaking for myself, I, I had uh, the exact same situation with um, my, my older sister as well. Unfortunately, um, I didn't have to take in her kid uh, and be, you know, step up to the to the level of man that you are. So kudos to you for for doing that. And uh, switching up your life a little bit. I'm sure that was a, a different. Yeah, she's, she's a blessing. I mean, I can't I, if I didn't have this kid, I would not be able to do what I do. She's my, she's my little cheerleader every day yeah. and you a much higher purpose in life than just partying at the bar every night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. It's awesome that you're giving back now too, um, that, you know, you're, you're in that stage because I even, uh, I get a lot of people that come up to me and ask me about real estate and I'm just like, you know, my experience level, uh, isn't, isn't to the bar that you're at, but, um, but it's awesome how many people are truly interested in real estate and understand and acknowledge that like real estate investing is definitely a, a, one of the number one sources to get that financial freedom and be able to, you know, chase whatever dreams you really do have out there while making yeah. impact on the you know, community, your area, and really helping solve problems. I think that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. It's being an entrepreneur is one of the best things anyone can ever do for themselves. Um, real estate's a really awesome industry, but if you don't want to do real estate, that's fine, but become an entrepreneur because relying on other people to give you income and, and, uh, is, is cool. you know, it's, yeah. there's no, there's no security in having a job. Yeah. So um, right. you, might, you might have a tough run to start out. I know it's taken me a long time to be an entrepreneur and be successful at it. And I don't even know if I can still claim it, you know, but, but I will, you know, it's, we're, we're on a different level now and it's, it's hard work, but I enjoy it. Yeah. So you're definitely, um, you know, a firm believer with self-development and, and, uh, you know, getting to that next level with learning from other people around you. Right. Absolutely. I, I put so much time into beyond just our real estate business, beyond just continuing education, but a lot of my, uh, money and investments go back into personal development, um, coaching, uh, mastermind groups and and it if I'm if I ever get a lull you know in my uh, I guess you know, back talk in, in my brain of like am I capable of doing this and, and just hit up a mastermind group or get on a conference call with some of my coaches I mean to having coaches and trainers it, it just it's so helpful for me and my my nagging little devil on my shoulder that tells me I can't do it. It's, it's critical. Uh, I agree. Um, I think we all kind of suffer from that self, uh, self doubt or, uh, yeah. at least just speaking for you and I possibly, but, um, uh, yeah, the mastermind groups and learning from others that have already been there and done it is, is tremendous. So let's talk about, let's talk about, um, you know, your first deal. What did that look like? Well, here's over the last few years, I'll go back to some of them. I've worked on a lot of different real estate stuff over the years, but starting out where we where uh, on the company, excuse me, that we're, that we're running now um, about three years ago, when I got back into this field, yeah. I wanted to tackle wholesaling real estate. Okay. And so I partnered up with my business partner, Rob and um, another business partner, Travis, 
And at the time, wholesaling was not something I had experienced doing. Um, so wholesaling was going out and finding properties, putting them under contract and selling them to a fix and flip investor or a buy and hold investor who wants to just pay you an assignment fee for finding them that deal. Yeah. And the, the benefit of doing that is there's no money out of pocket to putting a property in a contract and assigning it to someone else for 15, 20, 30, $40,000. And you can get that money within 30 days. I mean, it's literally just, just in and out. And signing a piece of paper and handing it over to someone and then giving you a check. It's so simple, the process of it, although it does take a lot of work to find the deals. It takes a lot of work to, you know, establish yourself and find the right buyers and whatnot. But the concept of it is simple. The, um, as well as education behind it to understand, you know, contracts, negotiating, uh, yeah. you know, finding you definitely those. Definitely have to be educated as far as, as far as, contracts and things like that. I wouldn't go into this blind. Um, it's, and, and the thing is that putting a property under contract and finding a deal that's off market, because you can't do this with a listed property. You have to go find a property that's off market. You need to understand the different ways that people are motivated to sell and reasons why people are motivated to sell. So if you're going to find a house that's in foreclosure, you need to understand foreclosure law. You need to understand the contracts and things that are related to buying a property foreclosure. If you're, um, finding a property in probate. You need to understand the probate laws and you need to understand why, why and how someone's going to sell their property and the attorneys that are involved with that process. You still, you always need to understand escrow and title and, and, and the people that are going to help you close your deal. Um, you need to, you to do your proper research and understand how to analyze properties correctly. You need to have a little bit of a construction background or know people that have a construction background that can assist you understanding the costs associated with remodeling a project because you need to accurately sell your house um, based on what you purchased it for, what the fixed up costs are going to be and what the profit margin is going to be when they can resell it. And so you have to be able to under analyze a deal and, um, and accurately sell it to someone else. Um, so let me ask, how were you actually going about getting your leads? when you start doing the short selling? So one of the guys on my team is a genius and he understood a couple different methods. He understood how to find probate leads was one. So we would go and research literally through court records, um, properties, uh, court cases that are, that are probate cases. And then you're literally diving into court records and seeing if those um, families who are filing a probate case if there's any property that's associated with the estate and now, would you would you shoot for very recent ones like fresh ones or uh, like post dated a little bit you know how how would you go about that or yeah, just definitely yeah we want to find the most recent probate cases yeah. we can so you're constantly searching through this stuff and you want to be first in line and some of these probate cases may last a while. Um, but at least you can do some research and analyze it and find the rep for the personal representative, um, or the executor of the estate, um, someone who in charge and can effectively, um, sell you that property. So you need to find who that who that person is to communicate with. So we would, um, and we still do to this day, we research that information, find the, Find the, find the properties, do the research on them, and then essentially go out and ask those heirs if they're willing to sell or the personal representative who can represent the heirs. Um, another another um, motivated seller would be foreclosure leads. So we buy foreclosure leads that have already been researched, but we also have access to lists of, um, and, and anyone can access foreclosure leads. There's auction.com and foreclosure.com and all sorts of different websites that people can utilize to find foreclosure leads. But, um, but we tap into that as well. Um, we've also looked into divorce leads. A lot of times, um, couples who are in divorce oftentimes need to sell their real estate. Um, so we'll go um, knock on doors of people who are in, who are in that process. Um, what else? What other leads do we use? I mean, so anyway, people that are sick, people that are need to move to take care of somebody else or move across the country. <laughs> Maybe there, there's a bunch of them. Whether yeah, uh, people, one, one good one is that even you would probably look for is people who are um, evicting 
their tenants. So you can look through court records and find evictions. And those are potentially motivated sellers because those they've been they haven't had rent for six months, so they're probably behind on payments. They're sick and tired of dealing with these people. They're yeah. just sick of it. They're like, screw this. The house is probably trash, so they're gonna have to put more money into fixing it up. They gotta find another tenant. So if you can find those eviction notices or eviction court cases, those are really great motivated sellers that you can tap into. And um, so you know, there's always a bit of research to finding that stuff. And then from there, it's sending out letters, it's making phone calls, it's knocking doors, and it's it's kind of grunt work. But um, we've been able to over the time build a team of people who are out there doing that for us and we can um luckily at this point sit back and kind of um handle all the paperwork and do the negotiating but but i was out there in the front lines at the beginning knocking on doors and, and leaving leaving the cards behind and and doing all the hard work um and learning that process and then and sitting down with the homeowners and, and negotiating the sale yeah man i love it um <laughs> I think that's where it really needs to start. You definitely need to be on the front line, get experience in everything before you start building up your team. Um, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about building up a team because what you're actually working on now and just the momentum behind everything, it, you know, I'm not front line and seeing all this, but from a distance, it's, it's powerful. So it's something that I definitely need to personally, um, take into account in the next few years as I start building up my, my business. Yeah. Um, so could, do you mind explaining like, how do you, how do you build up a team to be able to handle 10 to you know 15 projects at a time? Well, I'll say there's two different directions I could take this. One is we just started building a team. Like I was like, let me get as many people as I possibly can in a room and everyone gets to be a door knocker and we're going to give everyone a bunch of leads and let's see how it works. Okay. That didn't work out very well. No. That was, that was not, that was not the best idea. No, why, um, why do you think it didn't work? Well, for one, I don't think we were quite ready to lead a team that was just kind of haphazardly put together. Yeah. What I've learned over that process was it's definitely about quality over quantity. Yes. So we had too many people. It was too many, too many personalities. Not everyone was trained on how to do it. So I was, you're spending so much time trying to get Joe over here trained on this, and then Steve over here trained on this, and everyone's coming at different levels. And some of them have, don't have sense. Honestly, some of them don't have the personality to go out and do this. So then you're just like trying to drag people along when and motivate them to doing something that they're just really not capable of doing. I'm sorry, but not everyone can go out and knock on doors and, and, and talk to these people. If they're not really motivated enough to do it. So, so we had to drop some people. It wasn't a big deal. They'll be better off and they'll find a better niche in the field. You don't have to do door knocking in order to be successful in real estate. You can do other things. But so many different avenues within real yeah. estate. That's why it's real estate. You can analyst and you can, and, you can, and you can source deals. You can be the researcher. You can do uh, – you can go out and raise capital. You can, there's so many different things you can do, but the front sales guys should have a certain personality and be able – and have no fear essentially right? and, be, and be prepared for a lot of failure or a lot of no's and a lot of people yelling at you and mean calls and you got to be prepared for all that and understand that so people people who want to go through you know grant cardone's 10x training and understand that and love that kind of sales yeah. you're going to be the ones that are successful in the on the front lines um but there's a ton of there's still a ton of work that needs to be done in order to manage all the back end of it all yeah we're not just sending people out to every house in the city. We have to find specific houses. That requires a lot of research and work too. So as far as building our team goes over the last six months, what we've done is kind of more narrowed it down, found the people that are really solid, willing to put the work in. Um, and I source all of our team members from an education company. So I require that everyone who wants to work with us has to go through a certain level of education and be dedicated to training themselves and work with us every week because I don't teach and train real estate in my office. I do the real estate in my office, but I don't have time to teach and train people how to do it. We have an education company that I say, go learn from these experts. Then when you're ready, come to me and I'll, and I'll plug you in. But you need to have all of your education and training sourced from over here 
and then we'll help you out when you're ready to do it. Yeah. So it's very similar to building up a house. It's like you need the foundation leveled out first before you start. Absolutely. Building. So yeah. until you, you know, if you want to work with the best and you really want to build up that tremendous team and make some progress and, and profits in the meantime, then you really need to have that education. Um, yeah. I, you know? Yeah. Basically we say, what is your value to a team? And if you don't have any value, if you have no money, if you have no education, if you have nothing but just desire to be making money in real estate, well then the best way to go out and increase your value is to get educated so that you can bring something to the table. You don't have to have money to do real estate, but you do have to have some knowledge. And so that's critical. Yeah, of course. So when it comes down to your team, you know, what does that look like? Like how many different positions do you have? Like, uh, is it all within the office or I mean, accountants, virtual assistants, assistants in-house, you know, how does that work? Yeah. So it's a good question. So we have, we have two offices I have one office with my business partner, Rob and his wife manage our fix and flip um, business and accounting and bookkeeping and, and the construction out of their office. And then I have the wholesaling office, which is myself and Drew. And then um, that's where like our board meeting is and then our salespeople work in and out of this office. They often work from home because they're on the road or they're really, they work from their car. When you're, when you're wholesaling deals, you're working from your car because you're driving around all the time. Um, but this office is designed for doing the deals, um, finding the deals, putting them on a contract and wholesaling them out. Okay. So from there we have, um, so we own a construction company and that construction company is doing the fix and flips. We have other partners and project managers and whatnot that are handling that. And then in office, we have what, how many people we have? One, two, three, four, five, six, you know, six or seven sales guys um, and analysts that with us here, um, plus Drew and myself. So, yeah, that's all. Awesome. I do have a virtual assistant. Um, she does a lot of our cold calling. So, um, that's pretty cool to, to be able to have that set up. I learned that from um, a few experts out there, and that saves us a ton of time. I don't have time to call, she calls 65 plus people a day. Um, and, and every day or every other day, she'll get an appointment set for us. So she's going, she's filtering all this data down to, uh, you know, the people that are actually willing to talk to us and it saves us a ton of time and time is money in this business. So I don't have time to do that. She's willing to do that. And then I can just out on the appointments. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I love that. So you guys own, uh, a construction crew as well like you you guys have a that sounds wrong i feel like <laughs> well we don't own a construction crew but we have a construction company okay. and okay. we have partners who are con who are contractors right and they have their own subcontractors and um we do own a real estate brokerage so when we fix and flip our deals and we and we we resell our own properties so we're not paying the commissions to a broker so that saves us a ton of money very critical step in, in making money on this on these deals having your having your contractor license means we get all the wholesale materials and we don't upcharge ourselves you know like a general contractor would to do our our construction we manage the subcontractors to do it for us um and then we own the wholesaling business which is separate from those two because that's the company that finds the deals and then our, our investment company might buy those or we might just wholesale it to another investor outside of here. Wow. So, so you got all levels of, uh, of the market cleared. That's awesome. Yeah. And then I have some other partners who are in charge of, uh, you know, funds and raising, raising capital for our deals. <laughs> and, and it's a constant never anything to raise money for these kinds of projects. But our goal is to not have any money of our own invested in any properties. And typically we don't, we can get um, private money investors to source who, who we source and, and we'll put hundred, 200, $300,000 um, into a fund and we can tap into that to fund all of our deals. So you can make, you know, 50 to a hundred thousand dollars fixing and flipping a house with no money out of pocket. And I'm just going to manage it. Yeah. That's awesome. So that, I mean, it goes into like kind of what gurus say out there, like no money down, stuff like that. But at the yep. end of the day, it is possible. You just really need to be educated. And I think, I think it comes with experience um, to be able to, once you have enough deals under your belt and come across enough deals negotiation wise, um, 
then I, I feel like it, it's very easy to start getting other people to start giving you their money to, to have no money out of pocket yourself. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the more that we um, put ourselves out there and just show the, show what we're capable of, I have, it seems like now we have endless people saying, Hey, I got a hundred thousand dollars. When can I, what can I do to invest with you? And, um, at this point, I'm just handing them off to one of my other um, investor partners and saying, hey, this guy wants to invest with us, Put him, add him to the fund, and let's, let's get him involved with a couple projects. So, Yeah, man. I love it. That's awesome. So uh, what, are, what are you guys working on now? So uh, today, one project that we're working on, we found a land development project out in Sammamish, which is um, kind of a suburb of Seattle. And it's a two and a half acre piece parcel. And um, I, we put it under contract for $895,000. And I then re basically assigned it. So this is a wholesale deal because I don't do land developments, but we found it, put it under contract, and then I assigned it to a developer for $60,000. Um, so it's been a couple weeks and we're gonna get a deposit of that 60,000, 40,000 of it um, within the next week. So no money out of my pocket, just freaking finding the deals, putting them on a contract and marketing them out. So it's a pretty sweet wholesale. There's not too many wholesale deals that we make 60,000 plus, 80,000 plus on deals, but this was one of them. So it's pretty exciting. Um, we're working on, what? How did you get that lead? That's a good question. One of my, one of my sales guys happened to find this, uh, for sale by owner okay. parcel and um, just started the conversation and I followed up and we just and we did our own analysis on it we actually evaluated it analyzed it and it said for 895,000 for this particular um, parcel it's actually got a value potentially for a developer of 1.5 million dollars so we've thought man this thing is way underpriced and um, there was a few specific issues why the seller needed to sell and why other buyers weren't interested. And it was because there's a moratorium on development out there. The cities aren't allowing them to do um, any more permitting for six months. So we had to find a very specific buyer who is willing to deal with that and yeah. wait, you know. Um, I've never heard of that. Is that, just, is that a common thing? Um, just something that the city came up with. I don't think it is. I don't think it is very common in this situation and in that in that city, they're a more they're they have a moratorium on new construction because they've been gr growing so fast. I mean, they're just building, building, building. There's tons of million dollar homes being built out there, and the city was growing too fast, and their traffic was getting congested. And the, basically, they just said, "Stop construction. Yeah, we're we're, we're too." We're growing too fast and our roads can't handle it and they're trying to figure it out. So um, I don't think it'll be held for held up for too long, but um, it's definitely, yeah, it's a I guess that can happen, you know, so I haven't come across it. So this is kind of a new, new thing to learn. Okay, cool. So what other uh, projects are you working on besides that, that wholesale? So let's see what else we have two projects that we're selling right now. I have another, actually I have three properties that were, that are listed for sale right now. Um, two are going to close over the next couple of weeks. Another million dollar home that um, I actually wholesaled to an investor. It was one of my first sale, first wholesales. Um, we sold this house down in central districts of Seattle for um, wholesale it for 25,000 and we're listing it for sale for $960,000 and she bought it from us for 450, I think. So she's gonna make a killing on it. Um, and so we're listing that one for sale for her. And then we have another God, six or seven properties under construction. I'd have to, you know, go down the list. And then amongst, and then we have a whole bunch of other wholesale deals we're working on too, so. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. So, um, so when it comes down to all of these projects, I mean, I know for the most part, you, you really just focus on fix and flips. Is there, you know, obviously you're doing some wholesaling as well. I know you said that you don't do any ground up construction. Is that correct? Um, so mm -hmm. what, what won't you, do, do you do any buy and holds at all? Or 
Um, any projects that you won't actually do or that you rather focus towards? Yeah, well, as far as new construction goes, we're not, uh, the time frame that's required, the cost of money to do it is just a little bit prohibitive here for us. It's just, and it's a different niche. Yeah. So um, I know new construction developers here that are, that it takes two, three years to get the permits and get things off the, off the ground. Um, I, I don't know how you're making money yeah. you know, waiting in that period of time. So you kind of have to, would, that'd have to be like something added to everything else in order to be successful. Some, some, some developers will wholesale deals in, in between, you know, um, while they're waiting for the permits and whatnot, but that's, it's, just, it's a very specific niche and it's just not something we're doing. Okay. Um, but as far as buy and hold in properties, um, this is the year to, to do that. So we've been, you know, sowing a lot of seeds with our fix and flip deals and building up our wholesale business. Um, so that we can harvest the money in 2018. And I think this is the, one of the, the best years to reinvest into um, rental properties out, out of state of Washington, or at least out of Seattle, Washington. Seattle is one of the highest priced cities in the country. There's no way you can cash flow here when houses are selling for 700 at a minimum up to million. I mean, people don't bat nine, they're buying million dollar homes here. So that's not a cash flow market. We gotta, we gotta go out of Seattle same, yeah, same thing here in Cali. It's uh, just not the prices are the same. There's no cash flow, so it's yeah. it's really people are buying over here for the appreciation, which I think is just icing on the cake. You should never actually, you know, buy an investment property for appreciation. But everybody's tactics are different. So, so cool. What what areas are you gonna start looking in? Well, I have um an interest based on some of the. Uh, other investors that I know, interest in Ohio. That's I know that's where you invest. Um, I have an interest in Michigan, um, and I have an interest in upstate New York, as well as uh, Indiana. Okay. So yeah. All of those areas, I know people who are are investing there into much less expensive properties than they are in Seattle. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm interested in starting to look in uh, like Detroit area. Um, Michigan pretty much because yeah. I really uh, I see it to start coming around so yeah well cool. so let's talk about some learning curves uh, I definitely want to talk about some wins as well but um, I feel like so many people in society these days are really they're all torn up about any failures or or things that go wrong um, and, and they look up to people that they see all the wins but but in reality I, I truly feel like um, there, everybody's one win. There's always a bunch of failures behind a lot of learning curves to, to get to there. Um, and obviously you already had the education and a lot of fundamentals to, to help cut that learning curve in half. But with as many projects as you've done, I'm sure there's a couple that you could help any new time listeners. Well, that's a, true. I would say that getting educated is, is huge. That's definitely cut the learning curve and it's prevented me from making a lot of big mistakes that I've, that I've watched other people make. Yeah. So um, I don't want to say we've never had any bad deals. We've had deals that have gone over budget. We've had deals that took too long. We've had, we've had things that have been, that have been costly, but we've never luckily lost money. Um, so, so that's a good thing. And that's basically partly due to having a lot of experienced investors involved with us. So um, who have made those mistakes? So I've luckily surrounded myself with people who are very experienced. Um, so that's critical. Find business partners who know what they're doing. Um, even if you can have your best friend be your business partner and you can both start out at the same time, but get another partner who knows what they're doing so that you can have some assistance along the way. Um, let's see, getting our wholesaler business off the ground took a long time. It's it was very, very slow going to get it going and learning all the different types of lead sources, learning how to, um, uh, you know, just ramp everything up and, and understand the process it took us a long time. So that was kind of a painful process. I would say it was costly. It, it's expensive to kind of build a business, but in the end, it's an investment. So um, I think we had a long-term outlook, and I think um, if you don't plan to get rich quick, but to 
have a long-term um, plan to find deals, fund deals, fix them up and flip them and take that money and reinvest it into buy and holds, um, long-term you'll, you'll be well set. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, when, when it, I'm sure it really brings a lot more uh, credit as well when it comes down to um, having partners, you know, your partner or other people looking at each deal. It really helps minimize um, a lot of distress or any, any potential learning curves, you know, cut that in yeah. half right from the start. I would say one of the learning curves that is critical is, you know, is understanding your numbers, analyzing, learning how to analyze deals properly. Man, I did not know how to do that at the beginning. And it, and it took a lot of practice. It took a lot of, you know, just looking at deals, putting, running them through, a, through an analysis sheet or a program and, and crunching those numbers. And I had people looking over my shoulder and saying, that's not a deal when I thought it was. And so you definitely need to have people that are going to help you with that. But you need to just, you just need to know this stuff. You need to know how to analyze a deal. I get people who send me stuff all the time saying, hey, I got this deal for you. And I look at it and I run the numbers. And I'm like, this is not a deal. What is this? Why are you sending me this? But people start out like I did, start out thinking that they know everything or thinking that they they can analyze things and they're getting it wrong. And that's how you get upside down really fast. I mean, it just takes one deal, one bad deal that you either budgeted incorrectly or thought you could sell it for more than it could sell for. Um, and you're wiped out. So, yeah, you always know that. I mean, it's like a common saying in the real estate industry. You always know when uh, you make money on a deal right when you buy it, because it's either going to work out or not when it comes down to, your due diligence and the numbers that you really crunched. Yep. But I'm glad you brought up, uh, you know, crunching numbers, you know, for any, obviously there, there's a lot of different things that go into it, but um, if you wouldn't mind for, for those out there listening that don't know how to crunch their numbers mm-hmm. uh, particularly, would you mind just giving like a quick little breakdown of how you analyze a deal? Sure. So I never focus on, the purchase price up front, right? Um, that's that's what you're trying to get to. Yeah. So you're gonna look for two main factors. Number one is what is this property going, what can this property sell for after I remodel it and fix it up? And if I'm not gonna do the remodel, what can someone else sell it for after they remodel it and fix it up? What's the highest price we can get this thing to? Yeah. And the way to find that is um, pull comparables in the neighborhood. So you got to find properties within the last six months that are um, similar size, um, similar architecture. They don't have to be the same architecture, but similar architecture. Um, similar year built, but that's been fully remodeled. So have they redone the roof, the kitchen, the floors, everything? Like, what are you going to do to make this house practically brand new? And what comparable house has been flipped that, that sold for a high price? Um, Where do you find those comparables? So... I use the MLS because I have access to the MLS as a real estate broker, but anyone can have, anyone can find this stuff through um, Redfin or Zillow. You're looking for comparable homes that sold. Okay. So there's no, there's no secret website out there. There's John L. Scott in Seattle. There's um, Windermere, whatever, whatever MLS site you have in your city, you pull comparable properties that recently sold. Okay. So plug in, that sold. plug in similar years built. Um, similar square footage, similar number of bedrooms, and go within a mile or two and find the homes that recently sold. Within a six months range, obviously sooner the better. Exactly, yeah. So from there, I might average out the top three or top four deals and say, all right, so the average is 575 for resale for these types of homes that my home will look like. And now you have your essentially ARV after repair value. The next step is finding the um, remodel cost. So you need to get inside the house. You need to look at every aspect of the property, whether it's the roof, foundation, the windows, the doors, the floors, the kitchen, the paint. What needs to be redone in order to get this house fixed up, yeah. and what does that cost? Okay. Now that requires some expertise to understand. Whether it's you who has the expertise, or whether you bring someone on your team. 
that has that knowledge, you got to get that and you got to get that nailed down pretty good. Now you can, um, the more experienced you are, and it doesn't take a lot of experience, but you can become pretty experienced and, and just by a few photos from the exterior based on the year, we can calculate roughly, oh, this house is going to need roughly $40 a square foot or $60 a square foot or $80 a square foot, depending on the year, depending on the build, depending on what it appears to need. Yeah. And we can come up with a rough, rough estimate up front and then um, we'll confirm those numbers by walking through the house. And so a house might say 90,000 repairs, 120,000 repairs, 150,000 repairs. Seattle costs a lot to, re to remodel houses. In, in the Midwest, it might, it, and it doesn't, it doesn't translate across the board. So you have to learn your market, what your remodel costs are. Yeah. So that's critical. I can't say in Ohio, it's going to cost $40 a square foot. It might be $10 a square foot. I don't know what it is over there, but it's not the same in Seattle. So, um, so I so understand, understand what construction costs in your city. Um, but we, we know what it is here. So. And you always can do that with walking through uh, the project with a contractor or with several contractors to really get a, a better understanding or, or a bid. Um, try, yeah. to, try to do it with somebody that you know, like, and trust to really feel comfortable in that situation because contractors are a whole different, uh, whole different story in my, yeah. in my personal experience. Yeah. Luckily, nowadays, there's software, and we have a program called um, iOS that we, that we provide for our students, yeah. and that software includes some of the most awesome analysis for remodeling homes, and you can literally just plug in, yep, this, this bedroom needs carpet, and it's this size, and it needs carpet paint windows, and it'll, it'll give you out the pretty accurate numbers on what the remodel costs will be. So there's, there's new programs out there that'll, that can assist people with this, with this if they don't have the experience doing construction. You still yeah. need to know what needs to be done to get a kind of a scope of work, but it's pretty cool, these new programs out here that will help you along if you don't have that construction background. For sure, yeah, I agree. Um, cool, so any other steps in, um, I guess, breaking down the numbers? <laughs> so once you have your, ARV, your after repair value, once you have your fix and flip, uh, your fix costs, then you need to come up with what your profit margins are. What do you want to make on this deal? Um, if I'm, if I'm going to fix and flip it and I have a, and I have a minimum of $40,000 that I want to make in profit, um, how does that calculate out? You know, you're going to have to do, you have to go backwards in order to make that calculation. Um, if you want to, if you're, but there's a lot of different scenarios to making this work. And so this is where, where analysis understanding comes in. If you are, one scenario is if you, how are you paying for this deal? Is it all cash? Yeah. If it's all cash, you're going to have a certain percentage return on investment. And when, when we look at that number, we want a minimum of roughly 15 to 20% return on invest, cash on cash return. Well, if I'm borrowing money and I'm leveraging money through a hard money lender, there's going to be a difference in that return on investment. So um, as far as the percentage goes, so you have to understand what those differences are. Um, we might want, you might, and, and your percentage goes up because you're leveraging money. So, um, so I might look at that and say, I want 35% or 40% um, return on the investment for the cash that I put out of my pocket in order to make this work. Um, either way, you can figure out what your profits that you want to make what your margins are supposed to be, and and it may vary again city by city, but um, as well as like closing costs and um, yeah. and all types of holding costs and borrowing money, you know, financing. You're, you're going to include all of the costs associated with the deal, which yeah. is hard money costs. Yep, percentage and points and interest, and the number of months that things are going to be held for. You're going to include the selling costs, um, commissions, taxes. Um, escrow and title fees, yep. things like that. So you're going to add all that up, mm -hmm. and those are going to be your project expenses. Um, so as long as you're, if you're going to calculate backwards from all of your expenses, um, your and add your fixed cost to that, and uh, you've got to put your, your your profit is actually a cost when you're putting it into your budget yep. lines, um, and then. And then you'll come up with your purchase amount. Like, yeah. what is your maximum your offer price? Yeah, offer your maximum price. Yeah. 
So um, that's how we do it. And then uh, if, if the seller's not willing to budge on that number, then we'll walk away. Um, Other times though, you can justify based on the amount of work that needs to be done. Hey, this is what I need this house to be at because it's a piece of crap. Of course. You got floor to ceiling garbage and you're not going to sell it to anyone else and I'll, I'll pay you cash and close in two weeks. You know? Yeah. So cash is king and, and that's how we make our offers. All cash, close in two weeks. You know, when it comes down to really understanding your numbers, something that has tremendously helped me, I realized is it brings you so much confidence. And then it also, once you present your offer, then you have like reasoning behind it. So the negotiation period is like, it's so easy. And once you acknowledge that it is a numbers game, that you're playing a numbers game, like you're offering on every house, but you know that, you know, most of these aren't, aren't going to get accepted. So you just throw it out there. Right. And then once the seller comes back and all frustrated, like, what are you talking about? This is not what I'm asking. It's a whole lot different. And then you just, you know, provide your evidence. Like, well, this is, I'm an investor. This is exactly the numbers. Like, then usually they come down to like a, a better understanding and understand like, well, they are going to help solve my problems. Uh, you know, I, I don't work for free. So why, why should they type of thing? So it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I, I think getting that confidence when you understand your numbers and to be able to provide that, it, it really helps with negotiation and, and moving on to the next one. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. And I think another little twist that, people can provide as, as, as their justification for your numbers is say, I mean, if you don't want to sell it to me for this, then we could list it for you. Um, yeah. but you're going to end up paying 6% commission on that. And that's going to be really costly. So, you know, you throw that at them. They're like, oh, man, I could probably sell it for more, but you're going to end up paying a lot more too. We're not going to charge you any commissions um, and we're going to get it done in two weeks and you're going to have to sit on this thing for months and, you know, they might back out and, you know, you never know how long this deal is going to take if you don't work with us right now. Of course. So. Yeah. It's, it's strong, really good points when it comes down to negotiation. Um, so I love that kind of backtracking a little bit. I know we already talked about how you get leads and stuff like that, but I forgot to mention, um, do you, do you go like bandit signs or direct mail marketing? Um, anything like that? We do direct mail marketing. We have mailers that go out, um, every couple of weeks. And um, we do have bandit signs out. Um, we get a few calls on those. Um, now, do those calls, do they go to the virtual assistant or somebody in the office? Uh, that's a good question. They go to, <laughs> everything goes to our office loan. Office okay. loan. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and as far as direct mail marketing, like how does that how does that process work? How much money are you putting into that marketing campaign? Yeah, we've, it's, it's been a roller coaster. It's, it's not the, it's like you have to do it because you have to eliminate those leads and it does work. I had a guy call me uh, just a couple weeks ago who I had sent a direct mailer to six months previously. Yeah. And he said, you know, you guys sent me a letter six months ago um we're ready to sell now and so the coolest thing is that some of these letters you know they sit on their desk for months but then all of a sudden they're ready to call you so you never know when they're going to respond um it's often not the fastest response out there so you have to do it because it will pay off eventually but um i get more people calling me and saying hey take me off your mailing list than calling me to say, come by my house. Yeah. So you have to be a lot more proactive in this business than just sitting back and waiting for people to call you. It's just mailers are not going to be the one, the most um, successful type of campaign. you got to do it, but do more, you know? Yeah. I, I actually had um, Chris Rude the other day on, on, uh, on the podcast and he was talking about that, um, direct mail marketing should really be like a last source, especially for somebody trying to get in because, um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that you're chasing down the motivated sellers and you're going to get a lot of people that are going to, um, uh, ask you to take them off the calling list or you're just going to have to do a lot of, uh, 
work to to do the due diligence on projects to finally get one instead yeah. of doing like um like seo or facebook ads or, or pay-per-click um to to get motivated sellers to track you down so right. yeah I haven't tried SEO or <laughs> Facebook necessarily to find motivated sellers. Okay. Um, I don't know if that would work, but uh, if people are doing it and they're succeeding, at it, I would definitely, I would definitely try it. Yeah. Um, what we're utilizing our online marketing for is more for students and education and okay. people who want to learn how to do this business. I see you know, people searching online for more entrepreneurial endeavors and, um, than I do for, you know, looking for help for, for their foreclosures. But yeah, I don't know. So so what does your future look like, bro? I mean, what, where do you, where are you going? What do you, what do you have in mind? I, I know you, I know you're a big goal setter. So like, what do you have going on this year? That's a good question. Uh, we, I want a 10 exit, you know, <laughs> I want to do, Doing just 10x what we did this last year. I think we were able to buy, sell, under contract, wholesale, list um, almost 15 to 17 million dollars last year if I tally it all up. Now, not everything was realized in 2017. A lot of it's going to be sold 2018 yeah. after it's been flipped. But um, being, being able to put that much under contract or sell, it, it's pretty impressive. I was I'm blown away by the numbers. Um, the previous year, I think five so tripling it in one year and then seeing that that's possible um is awesome so i think in if, to say that we want a 10 exit this year requires a lot of additional assistance it's not me doing it it's me getting a solid team and each of them going out and finding a million or two or three million dollars each five million dollars each this year. and if i can duplicate those numbers um, with each individual on my team. So that's then that's teaching and training another 10 people to go out and find $17 million. Um, that's how we're going to do it. So that's one goal is, is figuring out how to 10 X this, find a few more solid people, quality people to join the team, get them through our education and learn how to do it. Um, and then go find all, find a lot more deals and, and, and then, and buy some real estate. I want to, you know, park the money over, in the Midwest and um, maybe down in Texas and rental properties and get that, that cash flow. Um, I want that mailbox money, not just the uh, wholesale and fix it money. Yeah. I love it, brother. <laughs> yeah, man. That, that's awesome. Congratulations too about last year. That, that's super cool. And definitely something inspiring to the listeners out there and obviously myself. So uh, kudos to you, brother. That's cool. Thank you. So, um, I mean, do you have any, Final words you want to give out to any listeners out there? So if you're interested in learning how to invest in real estate, go for it because it's awesome. Um, find some good coaches, some good trainers, some good education. If you don't have, if you don't know where to look, um, ask us, you know, Brandon knows. I know how to find the, some of the best people in the industry to, to train this, this business. And we have offices all over the country with our education group. So um, anyone who wants to learn, um, I can plug you in and give you access to those people who can help you. Um, we, uh, so for those that want to learn, uh, let's get started. Yeah. Yeah, let's man. Shit this year. I love it. Cool. Um, do you mind like giving a plug for yourself? Like anything that, you know, how people can reach out to you? Yeah. So our Facebook is uh, legacy, R-E-I, team.com. Um, that's my website, but like Facebook slash legacy REI team. Um, and our, that's, that's, yeah, start there. My email and phone number, Brandon can probably throw it out, but, um, connect with me through Facebook and that's probably the easiest way to get, get a hold of us. Cool. Awesome. Um, cool. So how could we actually give back to you? How could we like serve you for the time that you actually took out to, to drop some bombs on us? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, depends on where you are, but if you, you know, get get involved, find some deals. Let's, uh, you know, I'm always ready to help people. So if you guys have deals in different cities, the analysis doesn't change. I just need to know some basic numbers. If you guys want some help, um, you know, if, if 
finding deals. We have access to properties all over the country. We can help you find, find real estate deals. Um, we can help you analyze the deals. We can teach and train you how to fund deals. Um, and um, we'll, we'll teach you how to make money in business. So yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. I love helping, it, helping you is helping me. Okay. All right. Awesome. That sounds great. Well, thank you, brother, so much. I mean, you have no idea how much it means to me. I, I truly, you know, really, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to give back and help out and tell your story. So All right. Thanks, Brandon. Happy to do it. Yeah, man. All right, guys. So this has been another show of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. Uh, you can reach me, uh, Brandon Elliott, at brandonelliottinvestments.com or... You can email me at brandonelliottinvestments at gmail.com. Uh, Till next time, guys. Super, super excited for this podcast. And uh, if you guys can leave a review, a like, a share um, to anybody that's interested in real estate investing, you know, plug it out there and get people interested. I truly appreciate it. And uh, yeah, Dominic, you're the man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, man. All right, Brandon. Take care. God bless, guys. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit brandonelliottinvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.